Welcome to SickCast, brought to you by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path. Waiguruji ka Khalsa, Waiguruji ki Fateh. Thank you for joining us for a discussion on Sabat Hajare Baatshayi Dasmi. This is the ninth podcast episode in a series of 11, and I hope you've been following along with us so far. My name is Jasleen Gore. I'm a research associate at Sikri, and I'm joined today by Harinder Singh, co-founder of the Sikh Research Institute and innovation director. Fateh Harinder Singh, how are you? Arji Khalsa, Arji Fateh. How are you, Jasleen? I'm good. I'm excited as always. <laughs> Great. All right. So before we begin, um, as always, I'm going to play the recitation done by Harjinder Singh, research associate at Sikri with a background in Gurbani linguistics. I'm going to then read the translation and we will get into our conversation. A note about the recitation. The pronunciation that Harjinder Singh does follows the most simple and non-discretionary pattern meant for the masses. So it's pronounced the way it's inscribed. Let's take a listen. Vaheguru Ji Ka Khalsa Vaheguru Ji Ki Fatha Bilawal Patisahi Dasmi Soke Me Manas Roop Kahaye Siddh Samadhi Sadhi Karhare Kayo Huna Dikhan Paaye Rahao नारद व्यास परासर त्रूसे त्यावते ध्यान लगाए वेद पुराण हार हठ छाडियो तदिप ध्यान नयाए दानव देव पिसाच प्रीत ते नेतह नेत कहाए सूचम ते सूचम कर चीने वृद्धन वृद्ध बताए भूमि आकाश पताल सभै साजे एक अनेक सदाए सो नर काल फांस ते बाचे जो हर सरन सिधाए वाहेगुरु जी का खालसा वाहेगुरु जी की फतह Now that we've heard the recitation I'm going to read the English translation Belaval sovereign 10 How can that one be said to be in one human form The Siddhs could not see that one lost themselves in perfect consciousness and intense concentration pause reflect Likes of Nada, Vyas, Brasara, and Dhruv, concentrated with intense concentration. Vedas and Puranas lost and left after stubbornness. Even then, they could not concentrate on that one. Even demigods, deities, spirits, and ghosts call that one infinite and infinite. That one is recognized as the finest among the finest. That one is labeled as the greatest among the greatest. That one created all, land, sky, and nether regions. The one is known for many forms. 
Only that person is free from the noose of death who takes refuge in HUD-1. So her and their sing. <laughs> Let's start with the dog or musical mode. Um, what is the significance of Bilavel here? Well, Bilavel at large in the uh, Hindustani traditions is really about happiness. Uh, in fact, this is probably one of the rags when you start learning Kirtan, those of us in the Sikh fold are either pushed by our parents or are aspiring ourselves. And sometimes there's a third factor. Most likely the first trouble you learned was in Bilawal. So it's got this idea of that there's going to be some celebration that, uh, and, and, and within the context of Guru Granth Sahib, as well as in this Shabbat, you'll notice that there's an element of devotion which is brought in, but really is about the happiness. In fact, it says in Guru Granth Sahib, it says, Bilawal tabhi ki jab muk hove naam. So it says, eventually the real Bilawal comes out when the mouth actually has the naam, you know, which essentially means when it's identifying with the divine, the one, the Kuankar. So that's the Bilawal. It's really about a lot of happiness, jubilation. It's simplistic, but it has incredible sort of uh, what the, the words used in Indian Indic tradition and Punjabis use it too is uh, mangal and khushi, right? Which is happiness and jubilation. So that's the idea into this that you finally figured out something or you achieved something and you're happy about it. Okay, yeah, that's that's making sense. Um, and I'm sure our listeners will start to see why that's making sense when we get into the, the lines. So let me ask you then about the first and second lines um, where we're asked to pause and reflect. So they say, how can that one be said to be in one human form? The SIDS could not see that one lost themselves in perfect consciousness and intense concentration. Can you give us some context around this composition? Because I know that we talked about, like in the first introduction episode, the sort of running theme of disrupting paradigms or subverting paradigms. Um, in your commentary, you discuss Samadhi and Dhyan. Could you explain these terms and how they relate to the SIDs that are mentioned and this larger paradigm that we are sort of being asked to rethink. And this is, that's great. And this is one of the reasons why the titling became that one. You know, what are the existing systems, paradigms, people who are pursuing the one, what are they saying about that one, right? So within there, what happens is uh, the, these two words become very, very important, samadhi and dhyan. And I've, I've heard these terms growing up. I still hear them in a lot of sick discourses. And then people start fighting about it. What does this word really mean? That's not what we're going to do. We're going to understand it, what it means for people who pursue it. And you know, those of us who are trying to understand it, we need to understand that system first. So samadhi and dhyan are very popular terms. They're both coming from Sanskrit. And they actually affect many, so what we call religions or philosophies of South Asia especially when it comes to Hinduism, Jainism, and Buddhism. People forget that this is a very South Asian thing. Now, firstly, if you go look up in a dictionary, you're going to get multiple meanings of them because they are so intricate, because they have been interpreted by so many schools of thoughts, uh, uh, which create you know, major world religions as well. So that's why there's a varieties of them. So one way to come together or to think about it, the samadhi is something you uh, bring together to receive something. 
And generally, when yogic interpretations are coming out of it, they end up saying, you receive something, you come together something, when you have something like a perfect consciousness. That's how they look at samadhi. And dhyan is generally, it means, you know, contemplation, meditation. We are very used to hearing those terms. You know, they're used in varieties of contexts even today. But it's a yogic interpretation is when you are intensely concentrating on a particular object. So why is this important? Because both dhyan and samadhi, they have a lot to do with uh, how a, a yogi is preparing to practice samadhi, you know, or dhyan is what the yogi says, prepares a yogi for a samadhi. Now, I know that's a lot, but I want to spend a couple of more minutes on it because this is very, very important. Why is this important? Because when yoga sutras are being studied or people who are on the path of yoga, samadhi is the final step. It's the eighth and the final step. And you, uh, Patanjali defines it as such in the text called Yoga Sutras. So this is why it's so important. And in both Hinduism and Buddhism, as well as uh, Jainism, as I mentioned, it is really regarded as a, a pinnacle of all intellectual and spiritual activity. And that's something we must understand. Uh, uh, because that's why there are so many, uh, not just interpreters, but practitioners of this. So obviously there's a school and there's interpretation and there are practitioners. So you got, you know, every sort of a wanting guru and established guru in the West, as well as in India, looking at these two words and interpreting them very esoterically, but also in a very methodological sense. So that's why Samadhi becomes something very, very profound for them. And within there, dhyan is, uh, something which we say is about concentration, right? So again, in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, it is a meditative practice. It is not meditative in a sense, it's a reflective practice. It is actually a fixed mental concentration, you know, which you get to that stage by doing particular exercises and activities and asanas as they call them. So in the context of the Shabbat, the word sannyas, uh, sorry, the word dhyan as well as samadhi is invoked within the Rahau line. And we must understand that this is really largely related to an interpretation of yoga and its practice is globalized in varieties of ways these days. Yeah, no, that's helpful because it's hard to like figure out a way to translate all of that <laughs> into just a couple of words. So even with intense concentration, we get more of a flavor of like what this really means. Um, and it feels like it's an all kind of encroaching or engrossing thing. Um, so that, yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. So the, what the line then is saying, which is what you originally asked, but I had to go to this background because it is so huge and on our faces, literally, you can be driving on an interstate and you will see particular yoga advertisements. And we don't understand that these words are part of that traditions. So what Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj, in this Bilawal, Remember, it's a jubilation on our behalf that we figured something out. He's like, how can you call any entity and how can you reduce that one to any human activity or any human form? And he says, Siddhas have exhausted their samadhis and they could not see that one. And this is where samadhi is important, this idea of the final step, right? And the Siddhas, and who were the Siddhas? They were the proven yogis, you know, they're the masters. They said they had their philosophies, they have their methods, they have their techniques, 
and they still could not visualize that one. So for me, Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj is saying, look, let's not try to fixate ourselves or get fascinated by any establishment which focuses so much on intensity of these words, uh, and especially the yogic establishment, because nobody in human form can be called that one. And the ones who tried to do that in a systematic way in evolved philosophies and methods and techniques, they have been exhausted and they've lost it. They couldn't figure it out themselves either. So the word samadhi and the word uh, dhyan, we, to me, Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj is saying, take them in a very etymological sense. Don't take them in a very fixated way about what to do, when to do, and how to get to what step when. Yeah. No, and that's, I mean, that's, again, that's like the disruption of of that entire sort of complicated system that we've seen in, in other compositions over this series. So that's really helpful. Um, and I'm wondering then how that relates to the next couple of lines um, where we have figures who are mentioned. So the likes of um, Nada, Vyas, Barasara, and Dhruv, who concentrated with intense concentration. And then the next line, Vedas and Puranas lost and left after stubbornness, even then they could not concentrate on that one. So what's going on here as like we kind of continue this thought? Who are these characters and texts? Um, and what is their kind of backstory within this system or this paradigm? Yeah, and then this is something really we must understand. So who has been talking about or practicing these dhyanas and samadhis, right? So Narad, I mean, Anyone in India, if they grow up with any Indic system, is very aware of Narada. Now, a particular role of Narada gets played in Ramayana's character, for example, but that's not what we're focused on. What we need to understand is that Narada is actually a supreme Vaishnavite deity. So remember that Hari, Vishnu, Krishna tradition? He's part of that tradition. And he's mentioned in multiple texts, uh, multiple Puranas and Bhagavads and other things which I was referring to. And similarly, Vyas, he's actually the compiler of multiple texts. So these are scholars and respected and revered figures in the South Asian traditions, particularly in popular Hinduism as well. And Parasar is, uh, is the author of multiple texts whose father was Vyas, the person who was just mentioned. So it, he happens to be a son who happens to be mentored by him, but also in his own right is an incredible uh, author and Dhruv here is very important to understand. It is not the Dhruv Prahalad we are used to because that does not fall into the textual category. That was a more devotional element. Dhruv here is another ascetic devotee of Vishnu. So it actually is in line with people who are either ascetics or people who are textually writing or interpreting or have been mentioned by multiple texts. So the great texts in Indic systems, and what are some of those examples of texts? That's the second part of the line. They are Vedas and Puranas. And it says that, look, these individuals and these texts, they have been searching, they have been explaining, they've been trying to figure all this out because it was about really figuring out what is meditation or, or dhyan, or really figure out what is samadhi, this ultimate step to live in. They're like, and because it is very ascetic and a yogic kind of system, they're very stubborn because yogis are known to be very stubborn as well. And I'm not referring to today's yogis who are trying to do exercises. These are people who are claiming to get the final answers on everything. And we know this, people who act like that, they do become stubborn. 
And what this Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj is uh, sharing with us, the average people who are getting worked up on these systems, he's like, look, they could not figure this out either. Within their learnings, where their scholarships, where their methodologies, with their concentrations, they couldn't do it. So what is Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj saying? He's like, for me, what he's saying to me is, Samadhi for us is much more profound. It is something like when we use the word live in Sikh tradition, which is something utterly absorptive connection. It's not a fixation, right? And similarly, Dhyan for us is something which is a very intimate connection and which does not get disturbed by anything. So instead of them being uh, a methodological discipline or intense concentration, think of the words like a very profound connection uh, instead of some abstract ideas uh, of consciousness or meditations. Yeah, that's helpful. And, and I think it kind of relates to something we've talked about in other episodes and just in other, even other just like <laughs> conversations we've had of like, I'm listening to this and I'm not necessarily in these particular systems, but I do find that like we've said in commentaries before, like who are the yogis within us? Who are the SIDS within us? And I do find that like we have a tendency to do this no matter what paradigm we're in. We have a way of kind of trying to um, make things very method oriented and we tell ourselves that that's what it means to be disciplined. So I see this like speaking to me too, even though like, that's not, even though I'm not like in that particular system, there are versions of that that I think I, I'm dealing with um, internally. So that's a really helpful framing. Um, yeah. And, and just to add to it, we all are subset of this. We may not know who Nara is, but you may know some other person who has tried this and written about it or explained it. We may not know who Vyas is, or Prasar is, or Drov is. Again, it's a listing, right? Listing means, look, these are the people who've been at it for a while, and they're still respected. Whether mythological, whether historical is not the issue here. It's about the contributions which people are aware of, and their level of sort of status in the communities they live in. It is huge. Uh, and uh, Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj, I think, is being very, very graceful to everyday people that the dhyan, you know, and the samadhi, which that one requires is our intimate connection and our more of our absorptive and un, sort of disturbed intimate relationship with the one. Yeah. Because yeah. every other kind is exhaustion and stubbornness. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Um... Okay, so then let's bring in some more characters. <laughs> so in the fifth and sixth lines, the guru says, even demigods, deities, spirits, and ghosts call that one infinite and infinite. That one is recognized as the finest among the finest. That one is labeled as the greatest among the greatest. So a couple things. I'm curious about these lines. Um, I kind of understood the listing of like demigods, deities, spirits, ghosts as like an emphasis on their finiteness in comparison to Ikonkar, but then you brought a new lens into this line that I wanted you to talk about. What is it about this listing that has to do with the same paradigms that we are being asked to subvert? So the finiteness is not just of these four characters. There were four listed earlier too. They were also finite. 
So I think that part is definitely there, what we just referred to. I think in, in order for me to sort of present another way to look at as I'm receiving from Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj's, let's look at the original words. It's Danav, Dev, Pisach, and Preet, which English you can have your own interpretations of, and we have can we can come up with something to explain. But in the in the Indic traditions, who are they? Right? Just like so Danavs are uh, again, you know, we present them as being Dinavs and uh, demons sometimes and Rakshasas they are called. But even within the larger Hindu fold, they're basically about 100 demon, uh, demigods. Devas are 33 main deities, which we have talked about earlier and how they become 330 million. And Pisachas are kind of a spirit. They're part of a Yaksha spirit, uh, who that system calls demon-like. And Prets are like ghosts. So, you know, the words, we may not be used to them, but the kind of words, uh, whether they're constructions of mythology or some other um, tales, which we may, be, we may be used to on screens these days, you know, you can say these are some imaginations of the supernatural. It includes, you know, like goblin kind of figures or fiends kind of, you know, idea. What's implied in all this is that there are people in each paradigm where they say they are, you know, like when you use the word fairy, for example, right? That's a positive sounding word. These words are not positive sounding to most people. And Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj is disrupting that idea too. Look, even the ones which in your system are classified as being sub, subpar, substandard, subhuman of the netherworlds, even their voices are being heard. And what are those voices saying? That one is infinite. That one is infinite. So this is a very sort of a creative way as gurus do it beautifully in many shabads. And Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj is doing it here as well is there is that othering being destroyed between our ideas of who are godlike and who are demon-like. Yeah, no, that's kind of mind-blowing. I also am thinking about like, um, yeah, it's again, this like human tendency of like sort of assigning value to different, what we understand to be like different beings or different like categories of beings. And like we said, internally, we can have like SIDS within us or um, yeah, like yogis within us. We can also have like those qualities that we assign to like anybody else <laughs> within us too. Um, so yeah, that's that's like definitely a new lens that I I will probably think about for a while after this conversation. So thank you. <laughs> and I'm going to add something else. I'm just recalling something, you know, the line, which after the listing of those four, yeah. it actually says, now, I believe there is something else going on here. Hmm. That daily they are being called infinite and infinite. And who's calling them infinite? These uh, four who generally in their systems are considered something less. But I think there is an interesting wordplay happening here. And the wordplay is in the, again, remember the Sanskrit expressions I was saying, uh, in Janana Yoga and in Advait systems, which you have talked about Advait Vedantas, they have a very popular phrase where they say neti neti. And it's, I think there's a wordplay happening here where neti neti means not this, not this, neither this, nor this. Because remember, they're trying to figure out the final answer. And it is very interesting that Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj's vocabulary 
through them is coming that look, any analytical meditation is also not able to figure out the idea of the absolute, that one, you know? So they're still trying to figure out negation, the Advaitic Vedantics, as well as the Janna yoga systems. But here are what you're calling demon like. They have been able to say, I'm not playing that neti neti game. Neta net kaha. That, that one is infinite and that one is infinite. I think it's amazing that there is sort of a inside baseball, what we call it, or under the hood. There's something happening with that phrase with the Vedantic thought, Advaitic thought, as well as yogic, Janna yoga thought. Yeah, that's really something <laughs> I did not. First of all, you like unlocked a core memory of like one <laughs> one in the philosophy class I took. But yeah, I remember that, not this, not that phrase. So that's really, um, yeah, there's like so many layers of beauty to this. And I think like it's still kind of, because you were talking about Balaval as like this celebration, hmm. it's easy maybe to read these things as like hopeless of like, oh, well, I guess I'll never figure it out. But when we sort of dig deeper into things, it's like, no, there's something, again, which I've said many times, there's something sort of both simple about what the Guru's asking us to do and, and an acknowledgement that it takes effort of like, yeah, getting out of these paradigms is going to take effort, but like, look how complicated we've made things and how, what a relief it is to understand that like, we don't have to make things as complicated and that actually we can stop being exhausted. Um, in, in this sense, I will actually add in, you know, so this was a new thing for me as a realization, like intellectually, I understood it. Maybe that was more, you know, a dvatic or a yogic of me. The the grace of Guru Gobind Singh for me in this one was as I was listening to it and repeating it um, and trying to figure out what is this really telling me. It's it's really um, the spiritual and divine beings and their opposites are being disrupted. I've never really tried to look at it from that angle. That's very very fresh and very new. And Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj does it not by negating anyone. This is the beauty of this. Like nobody's being negated. It's just the, the four who are considered the opposites of spiritual or divine or the scholarly or the proven ones, they are the ones saying infinite, infinite. So everyone says infinite, infinite. And this is celebratory. So, you know, uh, essentially <laughs> to me, this is, this is like there are ploys of men everywhere and men are controlling which men are positive not just women and animals, but even other men who you don't like and you label them as such. But what are they all really called? And all these are ploys of really desire and anger or other ego-generated thoughts and emotions. And anyone who's doing that, how can you call that one who has taken the human form, caught up in that desire, so Kim, how can you call that one, the one who is in this human form, caught up in these ploys, as the one because it cannot be awesome <laughs> okay yes let's get to the last two lines because i i can feel my wheels turning so um in the last two lines the guru says that one created all land sky and nether regions the one is known for many forms only that person is free from the noose of death who takes refuge in hud one so can you explain these last two lines, given the context we've been talking about, these paradigms we've been talking about, and what you understand to be kind of the larger theme or message of this composition as you see it? 
since we've got into a little bit of, you know, you invoked your class a couple of months ago, I saw a, a, one of the series, uh, these online series in India called Patal Lok. And it was really incredibly great interpretation of what we are discussing, because otherwise Patal is nether regions. And it, was, it actually picked Delhi, and it picked few areas of Delhi, and it says, okay, here is the earthly region, here is the heavenly or the sky region, and here is the based on the behaviors of people. That's what Guru Sahib is doing here. He actually explicitly mentions all three again. And what, to me, what, what this is creating is, look, regardless of the way you describe things in this phenomena, whether it's visible or invisible, perceivable or imperceivable, everything is created and decorated by that one. So how can you condemn any space, any people, regardless of your classification? And this is huge. So we are being encouraged as seekers, as the devotees or the lovers, if you may want to call it, of the ones who study him, try to create fixations on him, her, or that, or their, whichever pronoun you want to use, because hey, it's that one. That if, if I'm interested in that, that the way it can happen is if I enter the sanctuary of the real Hari, not the Hari Vishnu Krishna, but Hari, the, the pervasive one, the fear eliminator one, the actual force of the world, the one. And this is where the death and the pain and the sufferings due to death, this is when they get eliminated. Essentially, I think Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj for me is creating an incredibly um, sort of a magnificent and limitless creation for us, and we get to witness that. We hear about it, but we don't get to witness it. We are always seeing it from people's lenses who are seeing things in division. Here is Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj's lens, which is ending that separation within this earth, within our eyes, within our perceptions, such that we can end our separation with that one. So I, I basically have to transcend my own mind and intellect. Then I'll be able to see the manifestation of one in everything and everyone, in multiple forms. So uh, this is why you cannot reduce that the one is only in this human form. It is formless because it is in multiple forms. It cannot be reduced to any one form. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I think that what you said um, earlier about like the sort of the grace that's being offered even within um, the discussion of these paradigms, it's like, if you want to believe that there are all these different beings, if you want to um, admire different people who have gone through this journey. Okay. But what are they all doing? Or if they're still in those disciplines, what is it that they maybe that exhausted them and how can we do things a little bit differently? So there is like a celebration, even of the, like you said, the many forms, um, that I think kind of threads through these things. Um, so yeah, that's really wonderful. Thank you. Um, these were great insights. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really hope our listeners are feeling inspired by this conversation. Um, and our next podcast will be on Shabbat 9. I hope you join us again then. In the meantime, if you do have questions or comments, please feel free to email me at jasleen.gore at sikri.org. Thank you, Rinder Singh. Jasleen, if I may, uh, I was going to share something and then I... It got lost, but I want to share it. I think it's important. That's great. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, I have my own journey with the yoga and pyant. Mm. So this whole samadhi and pyant, I've done it 
with uh, since my early uh, 10, 11, 12 year old as an adult in Kansas City, uh, while in high school and college, going on to then my later uh, sojourns into the various facets of life with Tibetan monks on the meditations itself and observer techniques. At some point in my life, which was high school through college, Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj did enter my life. And I think what this Shabbat did for me was something huge. It actually was a reconnection for me that Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj does not want me lost in yoga and meditation. Because I believe that's what is happening. And it was happening with me as well at that time. Since then, I have practiced it with a particular end, but I knew this was not my game. Instead, what I have learned since then to now, as I develop my relationship with suburbs and really working to um, tackle my own separation, you know, the, the samadhi, as I'm saying, uh, Guru Gobind Singh Maharaj wants to me be in, is of absorptive connection that live. And it's going to happen with the tiyan or the concentration or meditation of intimate connection. And all this is for one. So I can be uh, incessantly, unbreakably, all the time be connected to that one. I want to share that because I see my own journey as a reminder as well as uh, sort of evolution into um, ending my own separation. Yeah, no, I mean, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that kind of gets to maybe questions we have about like, um, yeah, maybe like leaning into condemnation when that's not what's being done or leaning into looking at other people instead of ourselves. And so this question of like, what our individual journeys are is also coming up. And it's, I think it's good for people to hear that you've also gone through that. And it reminds me too of like the discussion we've had on like Bhagavad Ramanan's Bani, right? Like he went through his own journey, came to his own realizations and shared that. But that's not to say that ours are going to look the same way or be on the same timeline. So I think that's a helpful recentering. <laughs> connected with the, you, know, you invoked Anna thought me. We started with Bilawal, right? What is Bilawal? And I quoted one line from Guru Granth Sahib on it, that Bilawal tabhi kijiye jab Now I've listened to Bilawal. I even have one of my friend named their daughter Bilawal. I mean, I'm that much in love with the word Bilawal. And, uh, but you know this, but that was intellectual understanding or a musical appreciation. It's only very recently in last two to five years when the Nam is having its own effect on me, I'm beginning to understand how Bilawal eventually will happen. I'm seeing a lot of hope in this. Like I've had a celebration of understanding something, but not necessarily of experiencing it. And the second part of that line, which is why I gave that back end, it actually says, Rag Nad Sabad Sohane. And it uses the word tyan again. He says, you know, in Sahaj, when this happens, habitually, effortlessly, naturally, that's when the music, the sound, the melodies, the measures, whatever word you want to use for Nad, it becomes even more beautiful because the Shabbat has entered in with it. So I think this... This Bilawal uh, is, uh, it's elements of happiness I'm able to see and I'm hoping when I am living now and drenching it now, when Tiang for me is more in Sahaj, effortlessly and naturally, 
may I experience below at that level as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm glad we didn't close. I'm glad we had a little add-on. <laughs> Thank you very much um, for this conversation as always. Um, we look forward to having everyone join us for the next podcast on Shabbat 9 and we will see you then. Waigurujika Kalsa, Waigurujiki. For a deeper appreciation and connection with the Sabbath, we have added Bible Beer Sing's rendition. We hope you enjoy it. समाद साध कर हरे 
ਕਿਉਂ ਹੋਣਾ ਦੇਖਣ ਪਾਏ ਸੋ ਕੇ ਮਮਾਨ ਸਰੂ ਪਰਾਸਰ ਮੂਮੇ 
आकाश पताल सब है सन एक अनेक सदा You are listening to Sick Cast by Sick Research Institute, illuminating every path.